My guest this morning is Amanda Crawford, assistant professor of journalism at the University of Connecticut, who has done a major two-part narrative that was the cover story in the print version of the Boston Globe magazine back in August. And it's sort of a backstory to the Alex Jones trial that attempts to show how our current gun and misinformation crisis evolved. Amanda, thank you for joining me today for this very important topic. What got you interested in this whole concept of mass murders and how the media covers it in the first place? Well, I was a journalist who'd covered multiple mass shootings, um, starting with Tucson shooting in 2011. I was in Aurora, Colorado. The next year in 2012, I covered the Sandy Hook shooting from afar. Um, so I recognized some of the issues, you know, with how the media, um, you know, covers these crises and, and certainly the families and, and neighbors there who are affected do too. But my primary interest with this was looking at how media coverage had contributed to, um, you know, mistakes in media coverage had been used to perpetuate conspiracy theories and lies uh, about the Sandy Hook shooting. And Sandy Hook clearly was a great example of that. The headline in the Globe story that ran in last month said the epic story of a Sandy Hook family fighting Alex Jones and the rise of conspiracy theories. And the subhead says when 26 people were murdered at the school in Newtown in 2012, the ugliness of social media collided with parents' grief in a way the world had never seen. You focused on one particular family, the Posner story. How did you get close to them and get the incredible detailed information about that day in 2012 that you wrote about? Um, I started talking to the to uh, Lenny Posner, and Ver her name is Veronique De La Rosa now, but um, she was Veronique Posner at the time. Um, I started talking to them, you know, uh, about in 2018. I was really interested in Lenny Posner's work fighting conspiracy theories. He had started, um, you know, after the shooting, um, he was um, he focused on fighting those who were lying about his son's death in an attempt to, you know, preserve his son's memory and make sure that that the history remembered um, this shooting for the hor horrific act it was. Um, so he started really taking on the online misinformation and navigating that world. And I was very interested in how he had turned his grief towards that focus and that mission. And so I started talking to him about that. Amanda, we'd had mass murders, including school shootings, before Sandy Hook. Columbine comes to mind. But the Columbine case, was there the plethora of social media rumor spreading that we saw in Newtown? Well, there wasn't social media in 1999. So, um, that, that, no, we didn't. And certainly there were issues with, you know, media coverage. And at that point, you know, there was like cable news and news coverage was, you know, being fed into people were repeating things they had heard on TV to reporters. And you saw some problems with that um, in that shooting. And, and that's something that Dave Cullen talks about in his book, Columbine. Um, but when we see what happened in 2012 with Sandy Hook is that's the first year that most American adults were on social media. More than half of all American adults were using a social media platform um, by 2012. So it had hit that point of ubiquity. And so the intersection of social media um, at that time with some other trends, um, including the trust in the mass media had really plummeted. So when, you know, mainstream media was covering um, the shooting and sometimes making mistakes, it was really being used by people who were perpetuating distrust. Um, and, you know, they were saying that you couldn't believe anything that you were reading, right? 
And so it really was this point in time where social media really intersected with a tragedy, um, which is why, you know, the subhead you read that we hadn't seen that before because of that impact of social media and the Internet. The story in the Globe is just simply captivating. It's a long read, but it's an incredible read by my guest this morning, Amanda Crawford. You wrote, news reports were riddled with errors, made worse by rumors spreading on social media. A lot of what was reported early was wrong. So when you get mistakes being reported by the media, does that just fuel the flames of social media? Well, you have it. You have uh, people, you know, spreading lies on social media. So you certainly have, um, you know, the Alex Jones factor. On the day of the shooting, he was on his radio show, you know, which is also on the internet, you know, and on his social media platforms. But on his show, you know, he was on the day of the shooting, raising doubts that it ever happened, calling it a false flag, saying it might be used to take away guns, and he started beating that drumbeat pretty early on. Um, and what we see is that. You know, there's that kind of uh, idea is spread through, you know, um, online by people on social media. And so when I was talking about the media mistakes, what you saw is people were like making YouTube videos that put together, you know, conflicting news reports and, and trying to use it as proof of this conspiracy theory that was out there. And yesterday it came out in the court trial that Jones doctored videos of the parents. And that was just one more thing that he did that just made things worse. Well, yeah, he slowed it down, um, you know, and tried uh, and speculated over it and never showed the, you know, full videos um, of the the family that was testifying yesterday. Um, They spoke out after the shooting. Um, They addressed the media and, you know, he used the what he thought as questionable behavior and started saying that they were suspicious on a show. Amanda, what was the role of the medical examiner, Wayne Carver, and his behavior? Well, I think that um, some people thought that, you know, who are watching, um, you know, again, you're looking at, at a, um, a conspiracy culture, right? And people who want to, for their motivated reasoning, right, or their suspicion or distrust um, are, are looking for things to um, prove their absurd theories. And so they start to analyze people's normal behavior and question whether it um, makes sense or is real. Um, and so what happened with um, Dr. Carver is he got out, you know, after spending what was probably a terrible night um, doing a whole bunch of autopsies and he made an address and people thought he was awkward um, and began to, he was one of many people whose behavior was scrutinized by people on social media and YouTube videos and blogs and that kind of thing. Was the pro-gun faction the source of most of the trolls in this case, or were there other people that did not have a gun interest in this? I think that you're seeing both. Um, There certainly is, um, there are people who are motivated, um, you know, they're, they're looking, they have that confirmation bias going into what they're reading because they do think there's some kind of conspiracy out to get guns, or that's a convenient narrative to pursue their worldview or their agenda, right? Um, and so it's, it's hard to tell how much that, that comes down. I've certainly met, you know, individuals who believe this, this, these conspiracy theories who don't seem to have guns on the top of their mind, but there's no doubt that, um, you know, the, that this is 
very connected to the issue of gun policy. Um, it is definitely a reaction that's being manipulated by some people to, you know, undermine quest for gun policy reform. So you've got the role of Alex Jones. And then what was the factor that Florida professor James Tracy played in all this? He was one of the um, earliest people to come up to be spouting this idea that that parents and others were crisis actors. And so um, what you often see is that people who have credentials, right, um, will be it's, it's kind of this interesting dichotomy. Often people who um, believe or promote conspiracy theories are very distrustful of institutions and people in authority, right? They're distrustful of academics. They're distrustful of the media. They distrust the government. However, when you see in these communities people who do have credentials, they're often very lauded to be like, hey, look, we have, you know, this person who's an authority. And James Tracy was a tenured professor in Florida. I mean, there are many of us professors all over the country of varying qualities of our scholarship. Um, but he came out right away, and he was one of the people who, set, who really dwelled on the media mistakes and said that that showed that the media was complicit in some kind of staged, you know, production. Um, instead of the reality is that there were a whole bunch of reporters covering a chaotic scene, and they were getting things wrong because they were talking to, you know, un un unnamed sources, you know, anonymous sources were being quoted. They were, um, you know, trying to get information about an ongoing, you know, investigation. So early on, he was one of the people who picked apart um, those media mistakes and, and tried to say that it made it seem like there were actors involved. And he was one of the people promoted by Alex Jones as well. So you've got the Jones and the Tracy factor, but was this the first example of a major tragedy, Sandy Hook, where the conspiracy theorists really began to attack the victims' surviving families and gave everything out from addresses and phone numbers to even Social Security numbers. Had that really happened on a widespread basis before? No, um, and that's, that's part of this, my theory and my research and, and what I write, um, is we really can see this demarcation line of the Sandy Hook shooting and when conspiracy theories targets changed. Um, so certainly we've had many conspiracy theories uh, about many major events and tragedies in this country. Um, and there were conspiracy theories and, and, and things after the Aurora shooting. And later, the Aurora, some of the Aurora families were targeted as well. Um, but what we saw after Sandy Hook was, was this change in the narrative very quickly that villainized all the real people who were affected by this tragedy. So victims' families and first responders and local residents and neighbors and religious leaders, um, you know, they were all targeted as being part of this giant conspiracy that was staging this shooting. And so the, the angst, the anger, you know, the focus was turned in on ordinary people. And so one of the things that I think makes this really significant is if we look at, at how misinformation has really disrupted our society in recent years, we see a similar turn towards ordinary Americans. So with, you know, the, the big lie and the conspiracy theories about election fraud, you see election workers, local government people being targeted. Um, when you saw around COVID-19 and, and, and beliefs that that was a made-up pandemic, 
you saw people turning their anger on nurses and healthcare workers and hospital workers. And so I do believe it's a change in um, these narratives to target real people, and that's very dangerous. And it's enabled by social media, right? Like we all have this footprint, or most of us, you know, have this footprint online where people can find us. And they can find our photos and they can reach out to us and they can email us and tag us and post, right? And what we've seen in the Alex Jones trial um, over the last, you know, couple of weeks here is families coming forward and talking about how this happened in real time, that they were, you know, creating um, memorial pages for, you know, their murdered loved ones. And then suddenly those Facebook pages or, or websites were being hijacked by people who believed the lies that this was a, a whole staged event and very callously would threaten them, tell them they were, you know, the family, the Parkers testified yesterday in the trial, said that, you know, they were being told they were going to go to hell. They're a very religious family, and they're being told that they're going to go to hell for their lies, um, you know, and, and they're just being hit at a very vulnerable moment, obviously, um, and just being hit by this onslaught of, of, of hate and denial of their tragedy and accusations. And Amanda, one thing that really jumped off the page at me from your story from the Boston Globe had to do with polling, where they said one quarter of the people, because of the conspiracy theories, believed in those conspiracy theories. And another third of the people polled felt that there was going to be an armed insurrection. Now, that was nine years before we had an armed insurrection, but tell me more about the polling and how it actually predicted what happened last year. Well, yeah, and this poll has always fascinated me before even January 6th, the January 6th insurrection. Um, But I had seen this poll early on in my research, you know, looking at at indications of how quickly this belief was spreading. And people, some people just didn't believe it. So when that poll came out, and I've interviewed the researcher at Fairleigh Dickinson University, um, Dan Casino, who did this research, he studies motivated reasoning, like what causes people to um, discount reality in order to, you know, further their own worldview. And so that's what he was interested in engaging with this poll. He knew the conspiracy theories were out there about Sandy Hook, and he also knew that there was a major national dialogue about gun policy and the Second Amendment going on. And so he wanted to see how those were connected with this poll. And when he was sort of shocked by his results, he told me. Um, I did another story um, about this poll for the conversation, and it ran in some other publications um, as well. And, you know, there were some major media outlets um, and others who just kind of dismissed this poll and said, it's crazy, there's no way. (laughs) There's, There's no way that this many people don't think this mass shooting happened. And there's no way that this many people especially Republicans, nearly half, thought that a revolution, an armed revolution, would be necessary to preserve civil liberties. Um, And and it was a shocking finding, and people dismissed it. And then um, we see that polls done since then find similar results on on these questions. Um, So it was a a pretty, you know, I think, um, interesting poll at an interesting point where we see this um, conspiratorial worldview really growing and seeping into the mainstream of American discourse and even being picked up by our politicians and political leaders. One last note, Amanda, is this incredible story. The editor of the story at The Globe 
Francis Stores, Yukon Class of 99 from Stores and the Stores family, and you use Yukon students to help you research for this major piece. Tell me about both of those. Well, I'm a Yukon professor, and, you know, I teach uh, media law at the university as well as press history um, and some other classes. And, I, you know, I talk about my research. I tell them about the reporting that I'm doing. And I sometimes have students that want to work with me either, you know, as a research assistant or through independent study. And so there were three students that worked with me over the last couple of years in this research who did things like, you know, pulled public documents and helped to do some reporting. So they contributed here. And then, yeah, the editor at The Globe was Francis Stores. So as soon as we connected, it was like, wait, Stores? <laughs> and he is a, was a 99 graduate, I believe, of UConn. And so it was great to have um, that UConn connection while working on the story that's, that's very important to many people in Connecticut who are affected by this tragedy, even if they weren't in Newtown. Amanda, I was really moved by the story. It's pretty long, but it's very detailed, and the insight you give into the whole Posner family is just fascinating. Thank you for joining me, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Wayne. Amanda Crawford, assistant professor of journalism at the University of Connecticut, did a major two-part narrative that was the cover story in the print version of the Boston Globe magazine, talking about how misinformation developed after the Sandy Hook shooting, and it follows the fight for truth through the Alec Jones trial. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.